The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, pull back. This is failure to stop Night Shift, a special edition on Tuesday night. This is the show to keep Night Shift awake. Failure to, to stop is a family of shows, though. On Monday, we've got Off the Cuff with Jay Durrell White. Tuesday night, here we are on Night Shift. Mystery and Mayhem with Andrea up late on Wednesday. We've got all the news that you need on Last Call of the Day. And then on Thursday is a great show, a big show. It's a comp center with Jonathan Bates. Now that Drew Breezy is officially declared lost at sea, that's right, it's my show. And now that Eric has also been arrested, the pecking order around here is now me, Deadleg, Duke Tansy, and Andrea. And then, of course, on Friday, we have Failure to Stop. It's the big show. <laughs> Andrea, how are you doing tonight? Hey, y'all. I'm doing great. How are you, Johnny? I'm doing great, as always. Andrea, we've got a big show tonight. I don't even have a whole lot to get into because we have a special guest tonight. We have a special case. We're doing the... Uh, a disappearance of Nico Lisi. I apologize mm -hmm. if I get that name wrong, but I will get corrected here shortly. Andrea, why don't you just go ahead and get us started? Before we do anything at all, I want to start off the show with an excellent ghost bed ad read. I don't get to do these a lot. Folks, it is hot outside. Right now it is about 100 degrees in my garage as I do this. You have to make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. We all know that getting a good night's sleep is the most important thing. That's why here at Failure to Stop, we all love GhostBed. They've been a loyal sponsor since the very beginning. All our fans and hosts rave about them because their mattresses are super comfortable. They last forever and a day because they were made in the United States of America, the finest mattress company on earth. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty, and you can try it out for 101 hot nights. And if you don't like it, you can send it back without any hard feelings. There certainly won't be any hard feelings in your back because these beds are so comfortable. Our favorite thing, Ghost Bed, is the mattress, which has the cooling technology. So when you get hot at night like I do, this will keep you cool. Right now, Ghost Bed's offering a cool sale. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack and use the offer code Wolfpack. You can get a mattress for 0% down, 0% financing, even if you have Lastro Lopez credit. Lastro, I will keep my, sh my shirt on in this episode. Go to ghostbet.com forward slash Wolfpack to get a good night's sleep. I will. Uh, hey, guys. So we are following a case from 2011 where 18-year-old Nico Lisi um, was last seen and heard from. This story is particularly unique and you'll you'll figure out why we've got a lot of um characters if you will to go through and a lot of state lines to cross in discussing this case so we'll get to it in a moment um if you're listening now if you're in the chats you've got a treat because nico's mother monica is actually backstage uh watching right now and we will be bringing her on for the second half of the show uh once i kind of tell you the story and we'll get into the details of things with uh with monica here in just a few minutes so uh, without further ado, let's get started. Uh, just kind of like we always do, we're going to talk a little case updates and pop culture. Tell Again, me you got something on Delphi. I love that case. I want to hear something about that. Well, you know, I mean, I guess in a sense, no news is good news. The last thing we had on Delphi was that Richard Allen had requested to be moved to a different prison because he was so isolated and his health was declining so rapidly. Huh. Uh, you know. 
I, um, I, don't, I don't really understand how uh, moving is going to help that situation as a former correctional officer, but maybe there's more to the story than that. What else is going yeah. on? Well, and the only thing else with Delphi, if you remember, um, they've still everything is still sealed. They still will continue to call this an ongoing case, lay, letting us believe that at every turn they continue to think there's potentially a second suspect involved in that one. So we just kind of wait and see. Nothing else is moving forward with that. He's awaiting trial. Uh, in terms of uh, some current, more current cases here, we have James Brenner, if you remember the squatter from Dylan Rounds. So guys, we right. covered Dylan Rounds back last summer, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was fairly new. So now it's actually a year has come and gone. Memorial Day weekend marked the year mark for the Dylan Rounds uh, missing date. And James Brenner, we know that he was arrested a few months ago. He was kind of a longtime suspect. They were able to kind of get him in on some gun charges that he shouldn't have had because he had been a convicted felon, but they held him there while they could develop the case. And sure enough, he's been charged with uh, the murder and desecration of Dylan's body. We've still not found Dylan's body, but uh, he did show up, James Brenner, that is in court today uh, or a couple of days ago. I mean, he just said one word, yes, when he was asked if he was okay with the proposed timeline of trial dates, uh, defenses, you know, kind of, I mean, just as the game is played, right, uh, is yeah, continuing to play some games and garner sympathy for him. Yeah, um, well, they, they have a lot of hearings that they, you know, are going to have to go through when it starts. There's all kinds of discovery hearings, suppression hearings. If a right. case is just kicking off in court, we're looking at a particular case like this, maybe a year or better before we actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, get well, and like in the way they word it is, you know, the, the case just starts essentially once the arrest is made, right? Because now right. everything that needs to happen before trial. So that's James Brenner. Uh, a little, not much, a little update on the Idaho college murders with uh, Brian Koberger being charged and currently in custody for the murders of the four college students there in Idaho. Uh, they, it looks like prosecution has been able to find and be granted probable cause to get a further search warrant for some other like digital footprints of his, um, some other phone extraction, some other, whatever they didn't already have, they're able to get some more probable cause or be granted that. So they will be looking a little more in detail into his, you know, technology leading up to the time of the murders. That should and, uh, maybe even reveal quite a bit since, you know, we already know that he was on websites and doing certain things uh, with his right. uh, university and college. So that could reveal a treasure trove of things. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I believe he followed one of the girls uh, on social media, one of the victims. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about in terms of more new and recent crime, I you know that I don't talk about a lot of very new breaking stuff because it's just, you know, there's so much to wait on. I like to kind of sit back and wait. But in less than three months, in less than the last three months, six women's bodies were found in some isolated woods in Portland. Oh, no. They were found within 100 miles of each other. They were all under 40 years old. Now, we've seen this kind of thing before. We know that authorities don't want to incite panic upon the town because how could you not be panicked? That's that's horrible. Um, right. I looked at their pictures. They don't necessarily all look similar, but we've got a, we've got an age pattern, if, if nothing else, and then a location. As of right now, you know, the word to the public from authorities is that, you know, they can't necessarily find um, any cause to think that these are related you know they it, it's because there's they're they're working this i'm sure they're working this very feverishly they're trying sure. the only one that did seem like she could be an outlier was um a woman 
that had passed away in a tent. Uh, and it looks like maybe she was indigenous. Maybe she was uh, homeless. Maybe she, you know, that could have been potentially more of a natural causes situation that does happen. And maybe it's just coincidental that she's there with, with these other five, but um, either way, five, if it's three, if it's two, that's a lot in a very small area. So in, in a very small amount of time. So this outlier, was it possibly the first victim? Like maybe the pattern hadn't been established yet? That's actually a fantastic point. A crime of opportunity, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit. I'm sure the FBI will be trying to establish a profile and that'll be based on. I'm quite sure they've already started that. So they're working. Yeah. The Portland uh, Police Department is working alongside the state and county medical examiner's offices. Obviously, like they said, the, the main thing here is if they can establish causes of death for all then they have a much better chance of seeing if there, you know, is in fact a link between between all the deaths. But it's horrible and it's uh, it's shocking. You know, we don't you hear about these things happening, but usually a little bit over a little bit more time. And I don't know, this one's interesting. So we're just going to keep an eye on that in the Portland area there. So would you like to talk a little bit of pop culture? Sure. Take me back to 2011. So we're going to go to 2011. You know what? We had another case out of 2011, and uh, there, yeah. there's not a yeah. lot to go on. I wasn't here for that, do. so I, I want to remember 2011. Don't leave me out. Oh, well, let me teach you about 2011, John. Okay, thank you. Were you born yet in 2011? I was uh, I was still wet behind the ears that year, yeah. All righty, all righty. So let's see here. The hit songs would be uh, Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks. You know that one, Johnny? What are the popular songs right now? Maybe, maybe the popular songs question isn't even a good question for 2011 versus now. It's I not, no right? Yeah, no, um, Born This Way by Lady Gaga, We Found Love by Rihanna, and uh, um, Someone Like You by Adele. That's it. I like that song. I'm not sure uh, I've heard any of those artists. I'm sorry. I'll sing them all to you after the show. Thank you. That's that will I be ask. on Patreon. Thank you. Uh, some movies, movies were terrible. Contagion, J. Edgar, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The Help saw, was really good. I saw, I saw, I saw Contagion. Wasn't that a, a movie about a worldwide plague and how the government acted responsibly? That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> or pure science fiction. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, and then just in news, um, we had an increase of gas and oil prices. Uh, Congresswoman Gabriella Giffords was shot that year, and I forgot that that was 2011. I, I remember I'm not that. Not sure where I would have put it, but I'm not sure if I would have put it in a, 2011. Probably the weirdest thing to come out of that is she ended up having a guided missile cruiser named after her in the United States Navy. I thought yeah. that was a weird way to uh, to take a, a heavy <laughs> weapons platform, a tool of war, and name it after uh, you know someone who had been shot. I thought it was strange. That's a good point. Um, and I'll say that is the year that famously Osama bin Laden was uh, killed. I remember I was watching Fox News Live for some reason. I was doing something else, but all of a sudden, Geraldo Rivera comes on TV and oh he goes, gosh. oh, this is the day of days. I finally get to have something good happen in my career because thinking back to like the... When he has a nose punch Well, there was that, but he also opened Al Capone's vault and found nothing inside and it basically ruined yeah. his career. I have that on VHS, actually. Because it's a, a great clip. It's so good. Yeah, at the end, he actually sings and dances because he he had made a bet with someone that if there was nothing inside that he would have to do that because it would be the end of his career. So he got to announce on Fox News oh that gosh. Osama Bin Laden was dead. And unfortunately, I don't think it injected much more energy into his career. I'm glad, it, I'm glad he made it about him, you know, because that's what's really important. At the the end other of the thing day. I remember about him was uh, 
you know, he would give away our tactical plans when we were in Iraq or Afghanistan or one of he those did. things. They showed he showed the camera on the ground and he would he would say, we're moving into this zone, you know, at 0300 <laughs> and we're going to lay down this. And and like, uh, you know, guys, the Taliban watches, you know, watches Fox News. So maybe don't do that. Go on with uh, 2011, <laughs> though. I'm done with it. Done All right. Then I, I am back in 2011. Okay, we feeling it? That's where we're at now. All right, guys. So uh, on to a serious note. So Nico Lisi, Nico was 18 years old uh, when he was last seen. He was living with his family, <clears throat> excuse me, in Addison, New York. At his, that was his mother's house. He was born June 11th, I believe. Yeah, June 11th, 1993. So this was, this takes place around like the end of September, beginning of October of 2011. So uh, Nico has a brother, Joseph, that's a couple years older than him. He's got a younger sister, Kerrigan, uh, that is really close in his age as well. And then he's got a much younger sister, Brooklyn, which I will have Monica, his mother, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think she might have been two around the time that Nico went missing. But either way, uh, sadly, she doesn't have much of a memory. She was just so small at the time. But the older three were very close. Uh, it's been described as a very tight knit family. They were always very much in communication with one another. Uh, and they were there in Addison, New York. They had family that lived all around them. Uh, and Nico was he was just a kid in school. He was a wrestler. Uh, Josh, if you want to throw up a picture of Nico, I think there's one of him in a suit or there he is wrestling. Yeah. Um, so there's a picture of Nico uh, when he was a little bit younger. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So eventually Nico had, if you're watching, that was him on the right. There's a picture of Nico. Um, he eventually had a pretty significant neck injury from wrestling. And so it didn't leave him harmed. He was okay, but he was strongly advised not to wrestle anymore. Um, and, and this was devastating. This was tough. He really did enjoy it. Uh, sounds like he was good at it. And, but it was under no certain terms that he really just shouldn't wrestle again. So, you know, that plays, we'll see if mom agrees. I feel like that plays a little bit of a part in, events that go forward, right? Because now you've got a high schooler with a little bit of extra time on his hands uh, and probably a little frustrated that he wasn't able to do what he wanted, what he wanted to do, what he enjoyed doing. Uh, so he kind of spent some time, his time between his mom's house there in Addison and his dad's house in Cornell, uh, again in New York. So he starts kind of hanging out with some different people. And eventually on September 30th, and we'll, we're, I'm just going to kind of set you uh, at what all happened at the time of his disappearance, and then we're going to go back. Abby, that's right. The Sky Metawala case was 2011. You're right. Thank you about that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So in on September 20th, 2011, um, an acquaintance of Nico's. I will say acquaintance because uh, a lot of a lot of reports indicate that this was like a buddy of his. It doesn't sound like this was the case. Uh, Robbie. His name was Robbie or Robert Knight. He was a couple years older than Nico, and they I don't really think that they hung out very much otherwise. But Robbie came to Nico's house on September 30th. Uh, Nico was actually uh, not at his mother's house at this time, but he came by to pick him up from his uncle's house there in Addison. This was around 2 p.m. on September 30th. Okay, so they hopped in this truck that Robbie said was his grandfather's truck. They go, the story is that they were going to meet some girls that they met uh, and go camping like for the weekend. So uh, this all sounds reasonable. It's teenage boys. You know, I, I think that that's not necessarily out of the ordinary. 
they were riding in Robbie's grandfather's truck. Like I said, it was a 2004 GMC Canyon. Uh, but then we find out that Robbie's grandfather didn't, in fact, even own a truck. Uh, we'll talk all about how Monica found this out and what kind of happened at that time a little bit later. But the truck had actually been stolen. So pretty soon there's some news reports of a stolen truck that matches this description. All right. So next thing anyone really knows, it's October 1st. So it's the next day and Robbie was sleeping and it's early in the morning. And uh, according to his girlfriend, he had gotten home sometime after 6 a.m. And he was there sleeping at his father's house. Well, his father lived in Romulus, Michigan. So this is around seven hours away from where the boys had been in Addison, New York. All right. So the day before at 2 p.m., the two of them hop in what we now know was a stolen truck. They have the guise of going camping with some girls. And then the next day, the acquaintance that was in the truck wakes up at his father's house seven hours away. So uh, from what I understand, Robbie was in New York because he'd gotten into some trouble at home. And so he did not spend as much time with his parents, with his dad there in Michigan. He was spending a little bit more time with extended family in New York. So when he's asked where Nico is, eventually, once we start realizing that it's time to ask around about him, Robbie says that Nico dropped him off there. He said that Nico dropped him off and he doesn't know where he is. He hasn't looked for him because he just woke up. And uh, he said that Nico had taken his phone at the time as well. We're going to talk all about that and the implications with that as well. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So then Monica who we're going to speak with, Nico's mother, did speak with Robbie's father. So they're calling him at this point, a couple, you know, a little bit of time has gone by. And at first, I don't think there was a big concern initially. The boys were just kind of out doing boy stuff, right? But then they kind of start calling around. Well, what do you mean Robbie's back, but Nico's not? Where is Nico? Where did he go when he dropped you off? Where did he say he was going? And so Robbie's father, Monica will tell you that she didn't have a good feeling from the minute she spoke with Robbie's father. He seemed to quickly have a reason for things and quickly uh, answer questions that she had not asked. So he said that he indicated specifically that Robbie and his brother, Robbie had a brother, his senior named um, Christopher. And Christopher had been in and out of some trouble. Robbie at this point had been in and out of some trouble. The dad says that Christopher and Robbie were both there and they'd both been there all weekend. And he was adamant about that fact, but Monica had never asked him all of that. He's given her a lot of information she's not asked for. Uh, and he kind of continues to press that point. So uh, he said that he got home from work that day about between 10 and 11 and that Robbie was there. So he knows he's been there and he's been there the whole weekend. Uh, so this was, this was a bit disconcerting to Monica. Uh, so then, we're going to talk a little bit about and all my stuff here. All right. So nobody in Robbie's family saw Nico. So it's not like we have a sister or, you know, the girlfriend that was there. She didn't see Nico. No one, no one speaks of seeing him ever. And, and no one ever will in that family other than to say he was just dropping off Robbie. So Robbie told his family that Nico actually had stolen his phone, but he was on his grand, one of his grandparents' cell plans. So when they found this out, they immediately 
uh, wipe the phone. They turn ahead at service disconnected, turned off, uh, so it can no longer be used while it was stolen. Um, his, Nico's grandmother called his phone on, this was on the first again, uh, around five o'clock in the evening. And keep in mind that family had been, Monica will tell you all about this and exactly how it was Monica's mother that called Nico, how her mother reacted when she called Nico, because after everyone had been calling for hours and hours and hours trying to figure out where he was, and this story is just getting kind of stranger, they're, they're starting to feel more uneasy as time goes on because things aren't making sense. So his grandmother calls him and he did answer. It was the first time anyone had gotten an answer, but he very hurriedly just said, I can't talk now, I'll call you back and hung up the phone. That was the last time that anyone heard anyone on Nico's side of the world, his family uh, heard his voice and this greatly upset his grandmother. And this is, I mean, you know, assuming that that was Nico that answered the phone. I think that that's also potentially a question. Mm -hmm. um, so some time goes by. Then we realize that uh, Nico's phone last pinged for the very last time on October 1st at 4.05 central time. And the reason central time is important because the location it pinged. It pinged in Franklin, Tennessee. So Franklin is a suburb of Nashville, about 20, 25 minutes south of Nashville directly, um, smack in the middle of Tennessee. This is nowhere close to Romulus, Michigan, and nowhere close to Addison, New York whatsoever. So this is where uh, Nico's phone pinged. And we kind of sit and wait. Like after that, they have this information and nothing really is developed at this point. Monica is going to tell you why uh, authorities were not necessarily led to believe that uh, they needed to go to Franklin to, to search for Nico, why they think potentially he left New York to start with. There's a lot of different ideas circulating. Uh, you know, as with everything, as time goes on, you can look at things a lot more clearly when you look back. Uh, that's true to a degree here, but this case has still left, I think, just as many questions um, as, as clarity. Uh, so I, have a, I have a question for you with the phone pinging. Mm -hmm. um, those in the audience who have not seen the show before, I'm an animal one dispatcher and uh, phone pinging. If we're looking for something is usually a function that's started by a 911 dispatcher in a lot of cases. So we'll need exigent circumstances. We have a reason to believe that someone's at, uh, in some kind of danger, some sort of mortal danger usually. And if we are able to get that ping from a uh, phone company, you know, Verizon or Sprint or whatever it is, uh, if I was, uh, and I, I have done this before, where I was attempting to locate someone, and then once we pinged their phone to try to find them, uh, we located them in San Antonio, Texas. So that was very far from where I live. Uh, what I was able to do is I was able to send that information to San Antonio PD, and I gave them the information that I had from the case and asked them to go try to look for this person. Do we know if that was something that was yeah. uh, attempted in this case? Because if even if you have an overdue traveler, someone who didn't show up, and I'm not sure exactly how good the pinging was in 2011. It could have just been like, well, we know they were within a certain radius of this tower that it pinged off of. Uh, is there a reason why maybe we couldn't have someone just go out and look for a vehicle in the area? Andrea, go ahead if you know the answer. Well, yeah, and very specific. We'll ask Monica more specifically. What I know is that um, she, Monica, was given the reason, at least from a New York. Keep in mind, guys, this this case gets 
more complicated than a lot of cases would be because we're crossing so many state lines that we have, and we have bodies, meaning individuals who had been in or around or near NICO during this time, literally different people in different states. So there's a lot of jurisdictions that are going to need to work uh, cohesively uh, at all, right? So uh, I know that in New York, they told Monica that uh, just because his phone pinged there does not mean that Nico was there. While I find that that could be true. That's an excellent I, point, but I'm just, you know, it got there but somehow. you don't leave it and there. If, I don't think that you leave it there. That's what, at least right. find out, right? You at least find and, out and you can scratch it off the list. We would know. We would be able to figure out what vehicles he all known. We would even be able to find a license plate and make and model. Okay. Nico did not have a car at that time. Um, Abby just asked, "How old was Nico?" Abby, he was eighteen at this time. Um, so you know, but so that's the first. You know, that's that's kind of a. It's not kind of a big deal. It's a big deal because now we we find the phone ping. It's the very last time this phone was used or activated. And it's very far away. And things very quickly uh, crumble in terms of being sensical. Okay. So the phone pinged then on, the, that was on October 1st. On October 3rd, two days later, Nico's mom uh, received a package in the mail. It was Nico's license in an envelope uh, addressed to Nico. And, you know, this is something that I think. This is just coincidental. I do think this is a just a random uh, tidbit. I don't necessarily it, think it's connected it had, to anything serious. It had to be upsetting, though, to get that because obviously oh, he gosh. should have that in his wallet. And for him to oh, be separated from his identification is, of course, not a good sign. I also find it strange that the, that it was put into an envelope. I don't know if this is common practice for most people, but if you if you find a driver's license, you can just put it in the mailbox. The U.S. Postal Service will send it back to the address on there for free. So, well, maybe not but, everybody knows that true. You know what I mean? Maybe, but the, but the envelope is uh, is just an interesting point of fact for me because you wouldn't have to put it in an envelope. But the envelope was helpful because we knew for sure where it was mailed from. Go ahead, Andrea. Um, to answer Elizabeth's question in the chat, I haven't gotten there yet. So we're just going to tell the story kind of chronologically, and uh, we're going to hit all the points. And then when we bring Monica on, we're going to get into the details of all that. So uh, yeah, so the license was mailed to Monica. So clearly Nico did not have his license. But again, I'm not so sure that this is nefarious. Uh, it just happened. Now it had been found just in front of a post office in Hornell, New York. Uh, now, Nico's father, that's where Nico's father lived. Um, so it wouldn't be crazy that Nico would be somewhere around there. So two days later on the 5th, he was officially reported missing. Uh, the Michigan police did talk to Robbie. Robbie is the one that he was in the truck with. And Robbie was taken in for, in, for to be uh, interrogated, right? So they want to question him. They get him there before he can start, before he can start answering any questions, he starts to go into what uh, different reports will say a mental breakdown or a psychotic episode, or, you know, it's called quite a few different things, but the, uh, ultimately what this means is that he cannot answer any questions and they rush him to a mental health facility to have him evaluated. He is there for a while. I believe he comes home on the night. Yep. On October 9th, Robbie comes home from the hospital. Um, we're going to let Monica tell you where this causes frustrations for her as well. Kind of the, 
what she's had to be tenacious in all of this and incredibly persistent uh, to get wheels turning, it sounds like. And so uh, he, he comes home from the hospital on the 9th. And then before the authorities can talk to him again, they plan to come to him to, to interrogate him at that point. On the 10th, Robbie passed away. So Robbie was found deceased in his home. Uh, toxicology ultimately will find now Monica wasn't privy to his toxicology for quite some time once it came back. And, you know, I think that any detail you can find about anyone surrounding the disappearance of your child would be something you want to know. So if I find yeah. that, you know, this guy has been, you know, been found deceased, I want to know why and how, Yeah. what potential danger does this pose to my child? You know, what's going on? Uh, so she actually had to submit a, a FOIL request. And if you're unfamiliar, that's the freedom of information law. And that's where you can, you, you, a lot of things are public knowledge. You just have to kind of ask for it a certain kind of way. So she files this request and gets the toxicology report back. And it just showed that he had been on prescription medication. It was his own prescription medication in his system. Um, and so I asked Monica, you know, if Robbie had a history of any mental health issues or anything prior to this, or, you know, you know how our brains go sometimes. Was this a ploy just to get out of talking to investigators at the time? Was this an act? But she actually confirmed that Robbie um, was a diagnosed schizophrenic. So he had been on prescription medications for his schizophrenia. Okay. Now, Robbie also took coracetin a lot. Um, if you're unfamiliar, okay. I'm going to read it yeah. straight. Mm -hmm. that, that was an over-the-counter medicine that a lot of people were abusing uh and 2011 was a little bit after my retail career but there was a while there where we couldn't keep coracetin on the shelf because it was being abused by sometimes youngsters but also it contained yeah, a key ingredient for methamphetamine manufacturing as well right so then i think that they've recently realized that you can do pseudof you know that's why pseudofed and things like that are locked up or they're at least um counted when you purchase it but at the time, yes, you're right. Coracetin is like a cough and cold medication. Uh, so I'm going to read it verbatim here uh, on this on this site. So coracetin, HBP, and cold pills were being used by teenagers, it here it says teenagers, to get stoned. The ingredient that gives kids a high um, is dextromethorphan or DXM. It suppresses coughs easily and safely. But in large amounts, it produces a chemical imbalance in the brain that allows the kids to get high. And so with the question, can coracetin cause hallucinations? It says that teens hope to feel excitement and euphoria, but often encounter drowsiness, dizziness, vomiting, potential hallucinations, fast heartbeat, high blood pressure, convulsions, coma, or death. So I think the question here, you know, it's splitting hairs. It doesn't much matter. But did Robbie's death occur from the coracetin or the um, prescription uh you know, uh, antipsychotics that were in his system. I'm going with coracetin. Uh, but either way, Robbie is now dead. And when I say Robbie is the first victim, there's a reason because this gets wilder as the moments go on. So this is on October 10th. A lot has happened in the past 10 days. All right. So on, on the 29th, they leave to go camping. We're 10 or on the 30th, excuse me, we're 10 days later. We've got a cell phone ping hours and hours away in Franklin, Tennessee. We have Robbie hours away from where they started on his dad's couch in Michigan. We've got no sign of Nico. And now we've got a, a psychotic and then now deceased Robbie. Uh, that's a lot. 
lot going it's on. A lot going on, yeah. Uh, so on the 15th, five days later, uh, mom has at this point been taking, been taking, she didn't start. She had been taking things into her own hands. I think she was starting to feel frustrated with how things were going and started uh, making phone calls. So she'll tell you how she got a particular phone number of someone who lives in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, guys, moving forward, there are going to be a couple of initials that we use. Mom does know names of these individuals, but we are not to disclose them. All right. So we're going to call this person that she first speaks with on the phone, uh, E. Now, she has an interesting, again, an interesting way of how she got information on this person to even obtain this phone number. Uh, what you need to know is that Nico actually had gone to live with some family and attend the high school there in Franklin, Franklin High School, from August of 2009 until February of 2010. All right. So the, the missing scene all happens about a year and a half later, but a year and a half prior, he spent almost a full school year at Franklin High School. So now we know that Robbie has acquaintances in Franklin, you know, acquaintances that mom and dad probably don't know. All right. So mom gets information and calls this person that we are going to call E on the telephone. It sounds like they played a lot of phone tag. They're going back and forth a good bit. Uh, and finally, she gets a call back. And sure enough, it's E. And this was on October 15th. And this kid says that, uh, yeah, Nico was at my house on the first. He spent the night there. Whoa, right? She's like, oh my gosh, like this is the first actual solid piece of information that I've received whatsoever. So she's almost incredulous at this point because they seem just kind of like nonchalantly like, oh, well, he's missing. Well, yeah, he was here on the first. And so, and she'll mm. tell you that she, you know, uh, probably about came out of her skin saying, you know, where, where, when was he, why was he there? What were you guys doing? What were you talking about? What was his demeanor? What were his plans? Uh, and there were never definitive answers. She said that, I mean, she didn't say this way, but it sounds like if you try to, you know, grab a fish that's wiggling out of your hands. Like, it seems like everything that she said, she wouldn't get a straight answer for. Uh, oh. It was always very noncommittal and a very, you know, vague response, but with no, no urgency to give her the information, you know, either. That's, uh, that's pretty upsetting. You know, when you have a mother looking for her son, it seems like anytime someone's trying to protect the sources of their information or kind of couch things, cause they don't, they don't, they don't want to be accused of gossip or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's frustrating. You know, I know Tansy's been on the show before and he talks about how, when he's got, you know, some sort of emergency going on, he's looking for someone and he encounters people who are not cooperative how much that can be disheartening when people don't cooperate with the police with an investigation. And uh, it's got to be frustrating for sure. If you're the mother, everything's emotionally charged. Go on. Oh, of course. When it's just, you know, she and I have talked about this at length in the past couple of days, but I mean, it's, it's common knowledge that you, you know, we all understand that not knowing has to be so difficult, but it has to be so difficult. Um, so that was October 15th. So she spoke at this point. Now she knows that at least if what this guy is saying is true, Nico had been at his home the night of the first. So finally, we get into March of the following year. So now it's March of 2012 and mom goes to Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, now, 
they do disclose that Flintlock Drive is the name of the road that this person lives on that she's been talking to. I pulled up the map. So if you don't know, I'm actually from Franklin, Tennessee. So I was born and raised there. My family is all there. Um, so I tried to get in touch or I did get in touch with a couple of detectives there that find out we're not, they were friends of mine that were not detectives at the time. So they couldn't really speak on this. Um, but Monica and I have spoken. I've got some more feelers that we're going to put out after the show. But uh, yeah, so I pull up this address and see where Flintlock Drive is. And Monica will talk to you about this. But uh, Franklin, if you're unaware, there's not much crime. There's really not much violent crime, not a lot of missing persons. Uh, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a really, you know, relatively safe town. A lot of money pumps through it. Uh, it's a pretty wealthy county there, and uh, they just don't see a whole lot of this kind of thing. So in saying that, if you do have a couple of pockets that might have a little bit of higher area of crime, where this Flintlock Drive is located would be one of those areas. All right, so that was kind of the, the first thing that I saw when I pulled up the map to see where it is, was that was my uh, first thought. So that was on Flintlock Drive where the kid E was. I'm going to reiterate these things a lot because we're going to have a couple more initials that we speak of. So mom goes down there to talk to the boy E and his father. Again, uh, he's saying, yes, yeah, he was here on the on the night of the first, but she gets different versions over and over about how he arrived there because she's saying, you know, well, did you go pick him up? Did he drive here? What vehicle was he in? Who was he with? Was he alone? Uh, and she continues to get just some different um, things, uh, stories from them. We, again, like I said, cannot name this family for a lot of legal reasons. And then she eventually finds out that this boy, E, sent Nico a Western Union payment for $90. Okay. She doesn't even know how they know each other. Huh. We then find out from phone records, which um, the police did pull phone records, but so did Monica. I think with the help of her sister and some other people, they together got on, uh, you know, you can go on like AT&T or Verizon.com or whatever and pull up your, your phone records. And they did. And Monica knew to the 615 is the area code there in Middle Tennessee. And so she starts cross-referencing his phone records for any 615 numbers. And then she finally finds a match for this E, okay? And she realizes that as Nico approached the area, like leading up to the first, they had exchanged phone calls, uh, I believe she said 36 times. What, what about social media? In 2011, you know, Facebook's the, pretty much the it thing. Do these guys have any association on Facebook? Do we know? We don't. And the reason we don't know that is because Nico did, in fact, have a Facebook account. However, Robbie, the one that later passed away from an overdose in his home, Robbie and his brother, Christopher, whose father, you know, was vehement about the fact that they'd been home all weekend. They admitted pretty much right off the rip that, oh, yeah, we uh, Nico took my phone with him, but we were with him and uh, we ended his Facebook account. We deleted it. Really? Yes. Why? How would they do that? I mean, you would need the password to get in there and delete the account. And uh, Facebook, of course, would still have all of his information on their servers. So. Right. Right. So here's the deal. They've never said why they 
got rid of it. I think there's some, we'll clarify with Monica. I think she was initially told that the detectives could not tell her what their answer was when they asked them. Uh, and then otherwise we've just been told that we don't know why they did it. Either I way, just, ultimately, I, oh, it, it blows your mind, but I mean. Yeah. Him disappearing but, from social media, but just how that would go down because I can't imagine a situation I'm, I'm in, why someone would want that for me and why I would provide it to them unless I was in some kind of serious danger. But, you know, what what advantage does that give you deleting the social media account? If so, anything, it's like burning a car. It's it, you don't get rid of any evidence. You're just drawing a lot of attention to something. Do you think, go on. Oh, gosh, you know, I hate to say this without let me I'll ask Monica this. I'd rather say that than speculate right now. Um, did. So we don't know why they deleted that. Moving forward, do know that, and I had to clarify this, I didn't realize until just recently that Nika's phone has never been found. Okay, so know that. The reason I didn't know that is because when you look at a lot of, whenever you read from different sources, it's often worded that the only thing that could be obtained from Nico's phone were these phone records and that location of a ping. So it's worded in a way like they were obtaining things from his phone. No. There, there was no, no phone to be found. We still do not have Nico's phone. All right. So keep that in mind. So, you know, this is something that we've talked about. I've talked to um, uh, people in homicide about this. I've talked to Monica about this because there is data now, right. Or technology, excuse me, now where you can extrapolate data, you can, you can, or extract, you know, this stuff and you can get some information from phones that we did not have this technology in 2011. So if we had Nico's phone, we could potentially, pull back out that social media that had been deleted. We could potentially find a lot of other things, but we, we, we do not have that phone. All right. So, um, sorry, my studio just shook. Uh, so the Western union payment, this is a big deal. We find out that it was in fact picked up and we find out like, meaning the money was retrieved. It was sent by this boy E and it was retrieved. Uh, we, there's a lot of information again there. I'm going to let Monica explain her frustrations with that. I think it's believed that this money was wired to Nico to fund his trip to Florida because it was picked up in Ohio. So he would have had to have gone through Ohio. I know through Ohio to get down to Florida from where he had been. Well, did he start out in Michigan? Cause to get out of Michigan, you pretty much have to go through Ohio or Indiana. So, I mean, that would make sense if he was not flying. Well, so we're going to talk about theories on, which direction he traveled and honestly in which order because there have been different ideas on this okay uh because remember we're going to keep that little piece of the pie swirling over here but don't forget the uh robbie knight situation in michigan so so we started in new york we got the michigan piece because he says nico dropped him off there uh and then we do know that robbie was in new york when he came to pick up nico right so that's one thing we know for sure is that robbie picked up nico in new york we never see Nico again. We find Robbie the next day in Michigan. Okay. So where did Florida, when did Franklin come into play? Or was Robbie in fact in Michigan all weekend? Maybe he took a little trip down to Franklin as well. All right. So we're going to keep all these things in our minds. Um, in August of that year of 2012, Robbie Knight's father passes away. So now he's gone. The only one left in that family would be his older brother, Christopher. Uh, I know I'm making this more of a kind of a, a a stale timeline, but there's a reason for that. And then pretty much here in a second, we're about to pull Monica on. So we finally have the 
New York State investigators go to Michigan and they want to question Robbie's brother, Christopher, at this point. Uh, right now, we know that Robbie's brother, Christopher, was incarcerated at the time uh, and so was Robbie's mother. So his mom's in jail, his brother's in jail, his dad is now dead and he is dead. Uh, they didn't get a whole lot of info from the brother, uh, but that's about that's when that's when he told authorities that they had taken down that Facebook page, that social media of Nico's. All right. So E's family at first was talking. They immediately shut down and lawyered up. They're not talking anymore. OK, like to to this day. Uh, then we have. uh Years go by. The last thing that happened was, uh, you know, kind of big was that Robbie Knight passed away. They investigated and asked Christopher those questions in 2015. In 2016, on July 21st of 2016, we are now uh, four and a half, you know, years after the the incident. Police get a tip. Monica will explain this to you, and they travel, meaning New York State Police, down to Franklin for the first time to to look into maybe why. Why do we have that Franklin element? What is that connection? What is that key to? And they have a tip and they get there uh, on a Monday, I believe she said, and they ask questions for two or three days. And by the end of that week, they have found the truck that had been described as stolen, that Nico and Robbie had been in, that GMC. And uh, Josh, why don't you go on and put a picture of that truck up? You guys, I want you to look at what this truck looked like when they found it. Okay. It has what's been, for our listeners, yep. What's going has, on with that truck? Because it's it doesn't look burned. It looks like it's been disassembled. Nope. It has been completely, if you're just listening, you guys, we're going to put these pictures up on Andrea up late and on failure to stop Instagram pages for this. But this truck, not only does it look disassembled, it looks like it's a, about to be assembled. Like it looks like pieces from a model car. It's completely, the CAD is separated from the bed of the truck. Any fabric, leather, rubber, seating, uh, steering wheel, nothing is in it. There's no engine block. There are no tires. Okay. Uh, so so we know that the parts have come off of it for whatever their value. So but the, the seats and things like that are kind of suggestive that maybe you're trying to get rid of some sort of fiber or fluid evidence. But if someone oh, I think was really the tires that oh, too, but, but if you for sure were want, trying to change this, this truck and you were going to go to that much work to conceal its criminal status, it's, you know, it's use in a felony. If you're going to get to the point where you're taking out an engine block and the, everything that makes that thing a vehicle, you're going to also remove the VINs from doors, from under the dash or wherever. And at that yep. point, you would have no way of identifying it with a felony. So view. they Go did. Ahead. So Elizabeth Owens is in our chats and she's making some great points. They, they did, take uh, the they did attempt okay. to take all the VIN numbers off. But if I'm not mistaken, did they not leave one? We're going to clarify that with Monica. I feel like they accidentally left one. which They're usually in three places, the, yeah which was able to eventually give the positive identification to get it to, you know, to, to make the connection um, for okay. sure. Uh, so no evidence has been found, as you can imagine. I was going to say to your point about seat coverings and fabric, if you're looking at DNA evidence, you know, tires, it's kind of a win-win because you can make money off of them and also get rid of any kind of soil, uh, plant, whatever evidence 
that can tires be will in this tires box. will tell you where a vehicle's been. You yeah. can take a tire, get in the tread. You can look at the sand, the soil, and uh, a scientist could tell you all kinds of things about it, whether or not it's been in a certain part of the country based on what they can dig out. Of oh, absolutely. Tire. Absolutely. So this is, as you can imagine, this is huge, huge, huge information. So they have, to, even though they're not getting information from it. So let me tell you about where this truck was found. If you remember, we're dealing with the Flint Lock Drive area. And this is in Franklin, Tennessee. This truck was found, uh, I'd put it probably 25 minutes away in an area called Sylvan Park. That's in Nashville. Sylvan Park is a nice area. The house, so this was a detached, locked garage. The house that that garage belonged to was owned by a family who lived in Franklin, but their son, we're going to call him Jay, their son and his girlfriend lived or rented out that house there in, in the Nashville area. And that's where that truck was found. All right. Um, so we have in October of 2017, the TBI, that's the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, takes over the case. They have a special agent assigned to it there. Then in August of 2018, Christopher Knight, Robbie's brother, dies. All right. Um, and then if I'm not mistaken, let me make sure that I give you the right. Um, so then let's go back a couple years in 2014. I'm getting jumbled here, but you just need to know that Jay, the boy who lived in the home where the truck was found, passed away at 23 years old in 2014 of a suspected overdose. So now we have Jay, where the truck was found, has passed away. Robbie, who Nico was with, has passed away. Robbie's brother, who Nico potentially was with, has passed away. Robbie's father has passed away. All right. Uh, and Nico is still nowhere to be found. Jay's family. Uh, I'm going to let Monica tell as much as she feels comfortable telling about all of this, uh, this part. But what we do know is that Nico went to school when he was there in Franklin High School the year prior with Jay's brother. Nico uh, potentially could have had some sort of an altercation. She will say that she's um, I think one of his concerns is the way in which Robbie came back when he had been in Franklin. He had started hanging out with some of the wrong people up in New York and started to make some not so great decisions uh, about his life and just getting in little bits of trouble here and there. And so decides to go down to stay with the family, like I said, in Franklin and go to school there, kind of change up his friends. Uh, she'll even say that he changed his dress, like his clothing looked different. Uh, you know, a lot of things were different. And she felt like this was going to be kind of a good fresh start for him to kind of get in there. You know, he's moving up in high school. Well, like I said, he was there from August until February, uh, the year prior to his disappearance. So he came home before the school year was over. And in fact, she said he grabbed a plane and flew home midweek without even so much as a, you know, there was no like prep talks. It's like, hey, I'm going to leave the school. Got to get set back up in New York in a school. You know, there's nothing. He just shows up at home. And she says, you know, while she thinks about it now, yeah, that was really strange, but generally ask a lot of questions because she was just out of business. Um, but with knowing that when he was in school, he went to school with Jay's brother. Now the truck he had been in was found at Jay's house. And it just looks like there could have been some issues 
Pryor and Franklin before he came home. Uh, that's what all of this kind of, kind of points to a little bit. Um, so you know what, without further ado, I've spoken enough. Let's let Monica get on. This is Nico's mother, guys. And uh, yeah, let's, let's welcome her to the show. Her. Monica, Monica, first of all, you know, you're the expert on the case. Andrea is uh, a bit of an expert on true crime things. But first of all, I just wanted to uh, take a minute to pause. If we got any matter of fact wrong in this case, we know you're taking notes. Uh, just bring us up to on, up to speed on anything we may have gotten wrong or incorrect, just because we want to we want to have uh, correct facts on here. Go ahead. So I just one thing that I'll say is that with podcasts, obviously, you don't live my life. Um, you're not in the everyday of it. And and you get telling a story um, and not just you, anybody that does a podcast, anybody that does news media. Um they don't always get every fact right. It's not always possible. Um, some things, dates, things like that are overlooked. Or you, when you're talking, you just say it wrong. Like you just said Florida three times. He didn't go to Florida. He was in Tennessee. So things like that happen. Um, it, I've got some notes um, in particular. Um, one thing mm-hmm. I want to point out about um, Christopher, Robbie's brother, um, in 2015, when New York State Police went to Michigan to talk to him, his mother was not in jail. Um, it was okay. just Christopher. Um, the missing persons report um, was not filed on October 5th. And that is across the board in a lot of different um, okay. articles. The missing persons report was never filed until, well, it wasn't filed until December of 2011. Um, It was never made out until the day after Robbie Knight died. So um, when I had initially asked police to do a missing persons report on Nico, it it wasn't done. Um, They waited until after Robbie Knight was dead. And I actually have the report in my hand. And it was on the 11th of October that it was written out and it was signed in December of that year. Robbie's girlfriend lived in New York. She was not in Michigan. She did not see him in Michigan at the dad's house. Um, The dad walked in and Robbie was there asleep on the couch. Um, I know that the girlfriend had been interviewed by someone along the way years ago. Um, She was not in Michigan. She didn't live with him. She was here in New York and she was going by what she was being told by Robbie's family. Um, And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that she was not in Michigan. Okay. Um, Robbie did not know anyone in Franklin, to my knowledge. Uh, the okay. only person that knew anyone in Franklin was Nico. Um, Nico had the connection to Franklin, not the Knights. Um, I let's see. I visited um, E in um, on Flintlock Drive in Franklin. Um, I visited him in March of 2012. Um, he called, he did call me, you were talking earlier about me finding his phone records. And what had happened is that we got into his account through Google. Um, actually, a friend of mine did that and printed off all of his contacts. And so then I get on our Verizon account and I can see who he's called the most. I can see a little map of where he has traveled, where this phone has went. Okay. Um, so that's how I obtained information from his phones was through our Verizon account and through a a friend of mine helping me get his contact list out of his phone. We never physically had his phone. It was 
going through he, his Gmail account. Actually, he was on he was on your plan. In other words, is that how you're able to get? Okay. Yeah, he was on my mother's plan. Okay. Okay. So, and um, he had a Droid phone, and a girlfriend of mine who's very tech savvy um, got into his Gmail account and printed off all of his contacts from the phone and gave me that. And that's how I started calling people with a 615 area code because I had seen on our Verizon map that his phone had traveled from New York to Michigan and then down to the ten into Tennessee. So, um, I mean, you've got pretty much you're on base. Um, let's see. Did you, uh, Monica, correct me if I'm wrong here. Sure. Sorry. There's a little bit of a, little bit of a delay there. Um, did you receive a message or did someone from Franklin call to say, to give you that number for E? Did I get that wrong? Did you, did some girl contact you? A girl contacted me about the J family. Oh, about J. Okay. Okay. E called me on the phone. Um, I, I had called several numbers, which E was one of them and left messages to those who I didn't speak with. And hours later, I received a phone call from E telling me that Nico had been to his house on October 1st and that he had spent the night there. They had went to play soccer, um, that, uh, on Sunday, October 2nd, they had went to play soccer and Nico walked back to his house, collected his things and disappeared. Um, that is what E told me. So then I get a message from a girl in Franklin that Nico had went to school with. And she said, you need to contact this family. I think they can help you. Um, they're nice people. Here's their phone number. Here's their address. And I contacted those people um, in December of 2012. And I talked to the boy, Jay, and I talked to his father. And I told them who I was. I told them that my son was missing. Um, I told them that there was a girl that gave me their information and was hoping that they could help me. And they told me they didn't know that Nico was missing. They told me they were sorry. Um, the father even, um, we'll pray for you is what he said to me. And, um, in 2016, yeah, of course not, not at their home in Franklin, but at their, their rental property in, in Nashville. And that's where their, well, son, where their lived. son lived, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's, it's just frustrating to, to know who these people are, um, know that I've talked to them. I've been in some of their homes and, you know, people get confused again by different podcasts, different media stories. Um, and I'm here to tell you that I'm open to any questions that anyone has, and I will certainly answer anything that, you know, anybody wants to put out there to the best of my ability. Um, it's been a long road. It's been a long 12 years and well, it will be 12 years in, you know, September, but it's, it's taken away a lot of my life. Um, and I just, I don't know how these people sleep at night. 
I just, I don't know. And again, we'll go back to, you know, the timeline and whatnot. There are different timelines out there and I will help anybody try to understand it to the best of my ability. Well, we definitely appreciate and I know that you've kept um, meticulous notes. Uh, yeah, you've got, you got a notebook full of all of your travels and your interviews and you're talking to people. Uh, it's incredible that you've done this. And I think it's fantastic that you've been so tenacious in for your son, trying to figure this out. But, you know, a, a point that I've heard you make in other interviews, I'm um, not sure if it was the Dateline one or with the different podcasts, but where you mentioned that, uh, you know, so many lives have been lost that potentially wouldn't have if people were speaking. You know, we've got people who are overdosing left and right. And I don't know if it's because of mental illness or if it's because of guilt, if it's because of regret, if it's because of knowledge. Uh, and it just seems like there's a lot of loss of life here and a lot of people keeping secret. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that if, you know, early on, um, we'll go back to the day that Nico and Robbie left here. Um, they were traveling around with another boy from the area. And his name has always been left out of this for whatever reason. Um, not my choice, but um, Nico and Robbie, Robbie did not pick Nico up. Nico and Robbie were together. Robbie was at my, my mother's cabin. My mother has some land and had a cabin and the boys were there unbeknownst to any of us. We did not know that, that Robbie was at my mom's cabin until they had disappeared. Um, so they're together. They pick up this other boy in this truck and they're driving around. Um, there was a burglary um, in the area and someone's home was broken too. Um, people that I know, um, people that uh, Nico knew, and when this burglary happened, um, it was very quick out of the gate. It's Nico, it's Nico, it's Nico, it's Nico. And Nico's missing. So it must be Nico. And so for years, and, and I mean, I, I still have to deal with that because the police believed that Nico and, well, it was Nico, that Nico was involved. Um, years later, I find out that this third young man that was driving around with the boys um, tells the police that he was with Robbie and Nico and they went to a house and they took guns from this house. Now, this is a part of the story that some people don't ever cover, um, but I'm getting into it. I mean, it's, it's true. It's what happened. And it's part of my life that I have to deal with in this town that I live in. So um, the boys go there and this, Again, this young man tell this, tells the story three years later that he was with Nico and Robbie and um, they went to this house and stole guns. And so he takes the troopers, the New York State troopers, to this house and shows them who it is. Well, it was the people that had been, been burglarized. And I was in the New York State police station when fingerprints were brought back and they were deemed inconclusive and it was still that it was Nico Lisi it was Nico Lisi it was Nico Lisi but then you had this boy that said I was there I was there with Robbie I was there with Nico but it was still the focus of Nico Lisi so for years 
until 2016, when the sixth investigator came into my life, he sat at my table and he said, what is, you know, one of your biggest concerns? And I said, I want to know why the number three boy has never been mentioned in all these years. He, he wrote a statement. I've seen it. He signed it. He said that he was involved in this burglary and he's still walking the streets and everyone is still blaming my son and my son alone. And it wasn't just my son. This boy said he was with my son, but was he really? We don't know, but he's never been, he's never been arrested. And, you know, the investigator, he, he was like, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I wonder what, what was going on there? Why was he never arrested? And I said, I'll tell you why he was never arrested. He was never arrested because they were hoping Nico Lisi was going to show up. They were hoping Nico was going to show up and this boy was going to turn state's evidence against my kid. And they were going to let Nico Lisi take the rap for the whole thing. Now, number one, it wasn't fair to the people that had had their house burglarized because you had a boy out there saying three years prior that he did it. Well, when number six investigator took over, he finally arrested that boy. And that boy went, went to jail for burglarizing the, the house. Now, it still has never been brought up. It was all about Nico Lisi. And Nico Lisi is not here to defend himself. And never he never will be. And those things bother me. It's like, don't condemn me for looking for my son. Don't condemn me for wanting to bring my son's remains home. He's my child. And he can't ever make it right. He can't ever apologize to these people. I can't ever, you know, make it right with them. I, I can't make people like my son. You don't have to. You don't have to like him. You don't have to like me. But have a little decency when it comes to me being his mother. And, you know, I, I've had to live with people saying, oh, well, he better hope he's dead because I'd kill him. You know, how do you think that makes me feel as a parent and people need to put themselves in my shoes and they have to, they have to ask themselves if they were ever in this position, how would, how would they feel? And what would they do? Would they look for their kid or would they just let, you know, people trash them all over town and put up with it and not say anything? You know, I'm, I'm here to speak for my son. And if people don't like it, that's too bad. Turn the station. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty awful. And uh, it's, it's kind of. It's ridiculous to say that you're going to you're going to point fingers at someone and say, well, that's a nefarious character that they, you know, that they did something that uh, that it was their own fault that they wound up like that. Who, who we've all been 18. We've all you know, some of us have done things that maybe our parents would be ashamed of at 18. But also who you are at 18 doesn't define who you are for the rest of your life. And but also, you're an exactly. but you're an adult. Just ask anyone. It's you're an adult. And my kid was not an adult. He was an 18 year old kid. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a car. You sure. know, he, he made dumb decisions. He did stupid things. But that doesn't mean that I don't love him. That doesn't right. mean that I shouldn't look for him. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't advocate for him. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. I just, I get frustrated. I, again, I'm not asking people to care about my kid, but, you know, you, you do say that and you're right. You know, we do dumb things. We make bad decisions when we're young. We've all been there. I've been there. And hopefully everybody grows up, matures, yeah. becomes better people and make they make better choices. My son will never have a chance to do that. Yeah, he should. Ha he should have the chance to grow up and mature and, and you know, 
prove the people who say these things about them wrong. And the, again, those people who are pointing fingers, you know, uh, and point it back at yourself. Like I said, remember who you were at 18 and you want right. to say, well, he's a man and he's, he's I'm very up. glad. We're talking, yeah. we're, we're talking about pages on a calendar, folks. Like you, so you don't get to your birthday and all of a sudden you're just put together. Like I didn't get put together till I was 30. Okay. Like I was still making mistakes, right. doing dumb things well into my life that I'd rather not be judged for forever. Right. Right. So we yeah. can move on from there to, I don't know where you want to go next. Um, what? What? Yeah, um, two things. I try not to get into too much speculation. Like we talk about that every week. Uh, I know that you mentioned it's hearsay, so you can choose to mention it if you want to or not, because I know it was never a proven thing. But I know at some point someone stated, whether it's true or not, that they heard Christopher and Robbie, you know, say something about, about Nico and about his phone. Do you want to talk on that or no? So it, it was said that, um, and, and Christopher told the New York state police this, um, Christopher told the New York state police that he had told Robbie that he needed to get rid of Nico and he needed to get rid of the phone, et cetera. So, at that point in time, and again, I mean, Nico went missing in 2011. This visit with Christopher in 2015 never happened. I mean, you know, never happened until 2015. So you're talking four years later. And so is Christopher telling the police that to make them think he's a big shot? Um, is he trying to be cool, um, be the career criminal? I don't know. I don't know why he said it. But in that interview, he also told New York State Police that he and his brother, Robbie, shut down Nico's Facebook page in their parents' home in the basement. That's that's what New York State Police came back and conveyed, told my husband and I. Um, I, I did want to get into another thing um, about Robbie's dad. I did not talk to Robbie's dad. I was there present when the phone call was taking place, but it was my husband okay. who talked to Robbie's father. And it is oh, very that's right. true. That's right. It is very true that Robbie's father was giving those boys an alibi when nobody was asking for one. And it was just very bizarre that he was saying the things that he was saying. What exactly was he was he saying? So my husband wanted to speak with Robbie and he told my husband that Robbie wasn't there, that Robbie was with the Michigan state police and that when he got home, that he would have Robbie call us. And my husband asked if they had seen Nico and he said, no. And Robbie's dad was offering up, well, Christopher and, and Robbie were here all weekend. They were here all weekend. I just want you to know that the boys, my boys were here all weekend. And my husband got off the phone with him and it was, he's looking at me and he's like, I, he goes, I didn't ask him that. I didn't ask him where his kids were. And he repeated that three times to my husband. Hmm. And so why, why did he do that? I don't know. Was he a nervous guy? Was he normally weird? Um, I don't know. I don't know why I said it, but it, it makes me think years right. later, were those boys with Nico in Tennessee? And that is something that has crossed my mind and come up. I mean, in the very beginning, um, before Tennessee entered the picture for me, I, I wondered, did Robbie Knight do something to my son along the highway to Michigan? I didn't know. No. 
And then when Robbie Knight dies, why did they go ahead? Why did they you cut off? You can go. Sorry, there's a little bit of a lag between the two of us. So I wasn't trying to um, talk over you there. Well, you know, I, I just they offered up. Well, first of all, you're right in that his dad was, you know, answering unasked questions. But they also, you know, it, it it still blows my mind. There's a few things here in this case, but the one thing I can't get past is the Facebook. The fact that they admittedly said, whether they did it or not, to say that they well, deleted his so Facebook, I can't for the life make it around. Like, like, let's be specific. It's not they, it's Christopher. Christopher said that he and his brother did it. Robbie didn't say okay. that. Christopher did after Robbie was dead. So Robbie can't tell you whether it's true or not but i can see my son driving down the road with a kid in the truck and saying here check my messages or check my facebook or whatever and giving someone the password to his phone nico was not he he just wasn't the type of kid that was very secretive about that i saw him myself give his siblings mm -hmm. his phone this is how you get into my phone um so it wouldn't shock me if he shared that information with Robbie, how to access his Facebook. Now, do you think that maybe when we were saying this earlier, this isn't something I want to necessarily just speculate um, on without going back and forth with you, but I wonder we all, you know, at that time, like Facebook would have been on his phone, just a quick app. So someone pointed out earlier that not all phones would have required a password. You just click the button after you're already signed in at all times. So you touch the button and it, oh, that's easy enough. Right. Um, I mean, you know, could, could he have put something in a hurry or maybe Nico, you know, said something that he thought was boastful or cool or, or whatever, like what they were doing, maybe put something on Christopher or Robbie or whomever didn't want, uh, didn't want exposed, didn't want out there. Uh, maybe he's riding the truck, putting something on Facebook that somebody was, I don't know, that might be far-fetched, but either way, we know that the account was disabled because he had had an account and then he didn't. Well, you know, the, I mean, and the hard part for me is that back then I didn't, I had an account that my daughter had made for me, but I didn't use it. I did. I wasn't Facebook yeah. savvy. I didn't talk with a lot of people. I never saw Nico's Facebook. Um, my sister, however, was friends with Nico on Facebook. And she is the one that discovered that his Facebook was gone. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. And that, that's what I'm saying. Be. So whether Christopher. Go ahead, Andrea. No, I just, I was going to say whether Christopher and or Robbie had anything to do with it being deleted, it, it was deleted, like it was disabled because I do remember you saying that your sister had been, you know, contacts with him on Facebook. So it, in some way it got gone, you know, and who's to say why? Uh, right. And that may not even be a huge piece of the puzzle, but my goodness, if it doesn't look suspicious. And that's, I mean, that was another thing that I wanted the police to check into. I mean, they had the authority to do that. Why not try to recover his Facebook? Let's see what was on the Facebook. Let's see what the messages were. Let's see what the comments were. Let's see what the posts were. And it wasn't done. 
Why? It, I don't know. It could be bit back then a smaller agency. I, I know that I, I work for a smaller agency. We we don't have the ability, the equipment to uh, do a lot of uh, cyber criminal type investigation things that have to do with websites, servers, uh, third party websites, things like that. That's what you would need a state crime lab for. Unfortunately, there's always a long line of cases that are lined up at the state crime lab, whether it's for fingerprints, rape kits, and things like that. And you don't get moved to the front of the line unless you for sure know that a crime has happened. I think the thing that, that frustrates you and confounds this case is that investigators are so ready to believe that because of the other issues going on and because he was 18 and he had the legal right to disappear, that that's simply what happened. So without that, they don't feel like we for sure have you know, we don't have a body that we're dealing with. We don't have these other indicators. We don't have confessions. We don't have other indicators to say for sure this is a crime. If this was a crime, those assets, whether it was in Tennessee, Florida, New York, Maine, whatever, those could have been lined up to help deal with uh, the cyber aspect of it, which would be subpoenaing uh, records from Facebook. I, I'm sure that Facebook has a much more, more robust legal department now, and they probably have a, a whole demand team that just deals with law enforcement. I don't know if that existed necessarily in 2011, but uh, these days well, it would be I, a lot easier for a small, even a small town investigator to at least request that type of information. Well, there's a there's a crime lab an hour away from my house. And you say okay. a crime he hasn't been committed. Yes, there was a crime committed. There was a yeah. stolen we were talking about. We, there's a burglary we're talking about that they are looking at Nico Lisi for. And mm -hmm. it it wasn't a priority. And and this is where I have an issue with police not listening to a loved one, a parent, a sister, a brother, a, a neighbor. You you can go out and you can ask 100 people in the village that I live in what they thought about Nico Lisi. And, oh, we don't like him. Oh, he was a hothead. Oh, he was this. Oh, he was that. That's fine and dandy. But talk to the people that he lived with that knew his habits and sure. listen to them and have compassion and have some empathy, have some understanding. And you don't have to believe me, but listen to me and treat me with respect. And I didn't always get that. Yeah, and I can tell that that is something. And I don't think that all police are bad. I don't. And I'll throw it out there. Um, the the one person that had Nico's case for a long time is a is a very good friend of mine. Um, mm -hmm. Do do I hate that person? No, I don't hate that person. Do I get frustrated when I think about the past? I do. But in my area where I live, it's it's rural. We don't have a homicide unit. We don't have a missing persons unit here. It is, you know, all of the investigators and the troopers working in the same building. They have yep. like the same offices, you know, so it's not high tech. But when you have you have a kid that's on the fly, so you think he's running and you've got a stolen vehicle and you're talking about firearms. Why aren't you looking for him? Yeah, those are those are all all excellent points. And and Monica, I'm I'm definitely not here to uh, play devil's advocate to you because I think you've already been dealing with that, uh, you know, since this happened. So I'm I'm not here to argue against you. I, I work in a very rural area too. Uh, even in rural areas, burglaries and stolen cars are, are probably some of the most common things. So in some ways, you know, the, the commonness of it is probably something that got into the investigators as well. As well, we have so many burglaries to look into already. We already have so many stolen cars. The guns thing certainly escalates it. The other mysterious circumstances, when you look at it together, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not here to argue or play devil's advocate. But I could see where an investigator, particularly in an area like that, 
you know, burglaries, stolen cars, very, very common. Andrea. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on board with everything you guys said. Um, I, you know, I think that when Monica, we talked on this earlier, but when we're talking about just following a lead, just follow it. You know, you either figure out what you wondered or it leads you somewhere else. It, it, it lets you know that you, you might know less than you thought about, you know, your theory may be less accurate than you might've thought. Right. So right. the whole idea of the phone and the, uh, um, you get his license in the mail, you know, and we've touched on this. I've heard you mention before, you know, they checked out like who, you know, where it was mailed from, whatever. That really doesn't look nefarious. It's a coincidence. It is an indicator, though. It is something. It means that he didn't have his license, uh, which is interesting moving forward. When we did talk about the Western Union and I'll let you touch touch base on that one a minute ago. But when when we learned that his phone pinged in Florida and you were told, well, that doesn't mean he was there. It just means his phone was there. Well, how about we just check it out? How about we check it out? We contact the agency there. We somebody do something to you either find the phone or you don't. But right. you know, and when when I found out in March of 2012 about the Western Union, that was my first question. I mean, I I went and I made copies of that. I faxed them to New York State Police, and in my mind you call Western Union, you tell them who you are, you run the number, you find out all the information about this Western Union. And it just didn't happen. Or and cameras. I, my, my big question was, how can he pick up a Western Union without ID? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been and picked up money orders before and I have to show ID. And if his ID is in my hand, because it's been mailed to me, how did he pick up this Western Union. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, as my mind travels, and again, I know that the police have other cases that they're dealing with on their desk in front of them. But I'm, I'm thinking, why can we not find out where this was picked up? Maybe they have surveillance cameras. Maybe you'll see if Nico picked it up, if it was Robbie Knight, if it was Christopher Knight, if, if the truck was there, yet they didn't have Nico on surveillance with that truck anywhere they didn't mm -hmm. have they didn't have surveillance of that they had surveillance of Robbie and Nico using a credit card out of that truck but they didn't have the truck on video and I'm thinking okay well maybe in Ohio somewhere you know this because it said I had a copy of it and it told that it was being sent to the state of Ohio Nico's name on it $90 the boy's signature on it and why was that so difficult but it took until 2015 for me to get an answer on that. And, right. and still, I don't understand it. I don't understand. How do you pick up a money order without ID? Why $90 well, too? It's such a strange, strange thing. That is a strange amount. Yeah, we funny. do talk about dollar amounts a lot. It's a very specific amount. Like, in, in, you know, I don't know if somebody owes somebody something or what. Tactical dude in our chats did just write and say that near him, where he lives, people get money from Western Union all the time without an ID. He said it's not supposed to happen like that, but yeah. it does. So yeah. certain areas may not be as stringent with the with the rules there like that. Um, I guess it would probably depend on place to place. I like your point about surveillance, though, because in 2011, CCTV or any kind of surveillance cameras were pretty readily available in a lot of places, particularly larger uh, grocery stores and gas stations like that. So that would have been a really good piece puzzle. And we did find out in 2015 that that store that it was picked up at had surveillance in 2011. But it and was too late. Had, 
and they still yeah. had the same six employees. And yeah. so but that, but that was long gone. Yeah. yeah. The employees for sure are not going to remember a single transaction, you know, after the fact right. that's what, what they're doing every day. But uh, yeah, it's even, even with digital, you know, something that has a longer retention, you're, you're not going to have that, you know, at that point, that's going to be long gone. Monica, what, uh, there was a question in the, in the chats and you'll have to forgive me if I miss something obvious because uh, there's a lot going on in the chats, but what happened with the vehicle? Where was it found? I think you said it was on somebody's property when it was found and what would have happened to them in terms of being possibly in possession of stolen property or what, if anything, did we find out in regards to the truck being found? The truck was found. The truck was um, loaded up in Sylvan Park, Nashville, and it was taken to Franklin, Tennessee to be housed in their yard or whatever it's called. I don't know what they refer to it as. And the next day, New York State Police came home. The people that lived in the house were never questioned. The people that owned the house were never questioned. Was the house just on the property the or was it? Were, the neighbors were never questioned. The John, so that, and you might not have heard this earlier, the, uh, the home in which the car was found, it was a detached garage. Okay. to a home in a pretty nice area um, uh, kind of on the outskirts of Nashville called Sylvan Park. So the family that owned that home actually lived in Franklin, but their son, the one that we referred to as Jay, who passed away in 2014, Jay was living in or renting that home from his parents with his girlfriend. They all immediately lawyered up and have not, it's been well, crickets. The the family, um, they were never, they were never contacted by New York state police. And if they were telling me the truth, the reason they were not talked to was because they were on vacation. Um, but when they returned from vacation, to my knowledge, no police ever went to talk to them. No police ever tried to contact them until, um, 2018 and the truck was found in 2016 long after the fact at that point i mean you know and you're you're talking about people who have moved away potentially at that point so but the truck was found four years later in a matter of three or four days i mean within getting to franklin within we're looking at less than you know less than a business week the truck has been discovered so and that was if I'm not mistaken, was that not their first time in Franklin? Was that Correct. four years later? Okay. Correct. It was in July of 2016, the first trip that New York State Police ever took to Tennessee to look for my son. They drove down on a Monday. They had interviews with people that I had given them their names and addresses back in 2011 and 12. Um, they picked some of those people up. They took them in for questioning. Those people lawyered up. Um, on Wednesday, they had a press conference that week. And July 20th, they had a press conference. On July 21st, Thursday, they found the truck. Let me ask you this. And then they came home. Do you, okay. Do you know how long, and John, you may can lend sight on this uh, since this is still unsolved you know, are, are they still hanging on to things uh, as evidence per se? I know they were not able to 
obtain any evidence from the truck as far as we are aware. But is Franklin still holding on to this truck? Are they still housing it? Franklin is not. Uh, the TBI has the truck. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. My goodness. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel that you would like to say or just anything about Nico personally? We know that we're approaching his uh, his 30th birthday on, on Sunday. And so it wasn't until I talked to you and was asking his birthday that I you know noticed the date. So I'm sure that's going to um, this weekend, you know, is going to be, you know, it's it's heavy. It's a it's a heavy weight that, you know, I carry it every day. Um, people can, you know, tune in and they can hear my story and they can keep scrolling and go on with our lives. But this is something that you don't understand unless you've went through it. And I have met a lot of wonderful people um, that deal with the same struggles that I have daily. And it's ironic that these, I don't know if we are just a clan that um, they have the same experiences with police that I have. Um, and it's, it's overwhelming to know this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if people need to be taught compassion or, or what, but when you're dealing with the police on a daily basis, you know, um, it's, you want, you want to be heard. You want to be respected. And I can't say that enough because a lot of people that I know, I mean, I can give you a list of names right now and you can call them and they'll tell you the same thing. The police did not treat me well. Um, they, they dismissed me and it's, and that, that potentially I think hurts the case, you know? Um, and I have people in Tennessee right now that are watching this and they're smiling and they're happy that the police have dismissed me. You know, I'm, I'm here 12 years later and these people are down there living their lives. Some of those people have lost children of their own in, in this, you know, in this whole ordeal. And you would think that one would say, Hey, you know what? I need to let this mother have some peace. I have to let this mother know what I know. I need anonymously. To mother, I need to tell this mother what I know about my son being involved in this. I mean, that boy's not going to jail. That boy, that boy is buried. His family can go visit him in the cemetery. I can't, I can't do that. And it's, you know, it's just a, a heavy weight, a heavy weight that you carry. And it's not just mm. me. I mean, my whole family. Mm. Well, it's, a, uh, it's sorry, especially, Sam. it's especially sad, you know, if, if your son has passed away and we're certainly sorry if that's the case, but if you had some closure, you know, it, at least you would know, um, at least if you go through that process, there's a process of goodbye, you know, you're sort of left waiting and hanging around and trying to find out what happened. And Exactly. And that's, I, and I'll tell you, it's not for me. And I've told many people this, it's not, it's not closure because when you think about closure to me, it's closing a book, closing that chapter and moving on. And yeah. that is not what happens with your child. And I just say it's finding resolution to this problem, this terrible torture that 
that I've endured all these years, I, I want an answer. I want to know where my son is. I want to bring him home. And, you know, my son wasn't perfect. He didn't make, he did make good decisions. Um, but I mean, there was part of him that did, there was a part of him that was a great kid. He was funny. He was helpful. He cared about the elderly. He, you know, he loved his great grandmother. He loved his grandmother. He, there, there were parts of him that were a very good kid. And one thing that gets skipped over a lot that if I have the opportunity, I'm going to tell you, my son was preparing to go into the military when all of this hit the fan. He was getting ready. He was taking a test. He took his ASVAB for the the Navy, um, Mm -hmm. scored a 98 on it. He was waiting for a direction to, uh, or a date actually, for a swim test that he was supposed to do. And everything just crashed all at the same time. So it wasn't like this kid, you know, was just always, always in the wrong place at the wrong time, making bad decisions. Did he do a lot? Yeah. But he wanted to go in the military. He wanted to get his life straight. And it, it came crashing down. You know, and I would, I would just venture to to say, yeah, he deserves to be be found. Andrea, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I was going to say, when you said, you know, not, um, closure. I actually think that, you know, I've heard you say, and it's, it's tough, you know, it's tough to think about this and talk about this, but like you said, this is the life that you are actually living. But when you said before that, um, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody goes to prison, it doesn't matter. You, you want him to be found and you want to bring him home and in whatever capacity that looks like. And, you know, I would venture to say that, you know, I have heard you say that you, you know, that you realize that you are looking for his remains at this point. I I think that that's where you know that you stand. That's where you know that authorities seem to stand in terms of investigating the case. Uh, With that being said, if that ultimately is what happens, I think instead of closure, you would finally be provided an avenue to grieve. Like it would, I think it's almost like your grief would just start. And I don't mean this horrible thing would start all over, but the, the healing process of you being able to grieve is a different thing than you've been able to do because you've been having to be on the offense. And that's true. That's true. Very much of the time. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I cry every day. I mean, there's a point in every day that I think about something that he's done or something that we're doing that he's missing out on. And I have a very hard time with that. I cry when I talk about him specifically when I'm in the go mode of, what happened or didn't happen and the police did this or the police didn't do that. I, I'm very, I don't know, defensive. Um, but that was my child and it breaks my heart that people don't look at him like that. Um, and maybe, you know, to his own doing, I don't know. He was a human being. He was someone's child. And I have all the negative people out there and saying horrible things. And I, I am going to defend him and I'm going to defend myself as his mom. Um, of course. It's just a horrible road to be on, for sure. Uh, Josh, why don't you throw up a picture one more time? Because we, we're here to, to talk about Nico, the, the human being, the person who's missing, the son. Uh, this is somebody that's loved. He's not a perfect person, but you know what? You don't. It's not that you have to attain some sort of standard of perfection or good behavior for the law to protect you, the law to work for you, and for people to care about you. 
th this person uh, is uh, is he's the same as you. He he made mistakes just like you did. The difference is is that he was uh, young and uh, whatever happened to him, he didn't get a chance to grow up. Well, and like she said, he didn't only make mistakes. You know, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't the sum of silly mistakes at eighteen years old. Like exactly, you know. Um, and so, and, and there he is. Take a look. Like we said, uh, Nico's birthday is approaching this Sunday. Uh, Nico would be 30. Uh, and Monica shared some great pictures earlier on with me. They do often get together as a family and celebrate his birthday and have a cake and sing and all kinds of things. So his family is still very, very close. I've heard you say that if anything, uh, you guys are closer since this. Is this true? In, in some areas, yes. I mean, it's it's just tough. Um, you know, nobody wants to sit around and see his mom cry or see his grandma cry or, you know, so we try to, we try to get together like on his birthday. Um, we haven't done it every single year, um, but we have done several and I mean, it's hard, um, it's hard enough every day, but then you have the special holidays and the birthdays and Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and, you know, Mother's Day. And that, it sucks to just sit around and cry, you know? And yeah. I know that, um, I know there's people in Tennessee that sit and they have those same, they have those same days. They have the birthdays, the holidays. And it's like, please just reach within yourself and and let us know what you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I want. Somebody out there knows something. And I appeal to your decency, your courage. You know, even if you have something to lose, this is the case that needs to be solved. He deserves to be found. You, you've got to find it within yourself to do the right thing. Don't, don't let Monica go to the end of her days never knowing what happened to her son. Uh, we've you, been you've putting got, the number... We put the number and the uh, email address up multiple times. We'll put it back on our Instagram as well. But like we said, the TBI is handling this case, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So you can call 1-800-TBI-FIND, F-I-N-D. You can do this anonymously. You can call from anywhere anonymously. Uh, you can also email any tips to tips2tbi at tennessee.tn.gov. Um We'll put all that information back up. You can join the Facebook page that uh, Monica set up. Is it uh, is it searching for Nico? Monica, what's the name of your Facebook page? It's called Search for Nico Lisi. And we okay. also have um, we also have uh, www.nicolisi.com. And then right. as we've spoken about the Q Center on this uh, on the show multiple times, the Q Center. Uh, based here out of North Carolina, actually, uh, we've talked about it being a nationally recognized organization. They have also taken on uh, Nico, and you can view his profile if you go there to q.org, cue.org. All right, Monica, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sharing your story. If you would, uh, just stick around after the show just so we can kind of touch base with you and okay. uh, close out the episode. Uh, thank you yeah. again to Monica for coming and sharing uh, your emotional, touching story. Again, he deserves to be found. Uh, Monica, like I said, stick around. We'll talk to you after the show. Uh, Andrea, you, that was a that was a heck of an episode. I want to commend you on all the hard work that you did on your uh, your research and bringing on on an expert on here. This is a case that we've never really had like this on Night Shift before. Um, 
these are mm -hmm. stories worth telling people that deserve to be found and uh, again I just appeal to the the decency of anybody who knows anything you know uh, or I, I appeal to uh, anyone who thinks they may know something and may think that it doesn't matter you know you may hold the piece that can open up that. Uh, the, the rest of the mystery uh, come forward give your information out uh, like I said this case definitely deserves to be solved uh, tomorrow uh, Wednesday, uh, Eric will be back. He'll be back in. Uh, if you are a, a paid member, you'll be able to watch. Uh, last call will give you all the news that you need. On Thursday, it'll be me and Eric doing our first show together forever. We're going to cover a important case at Comp Center. We're going to talk about the two police officers in Wisconsin who lost their lives in April. We're actually going to do a deep dive. Uh, we're going to show not only uh, the final moments of these brave, brave police officers uh, doing what they can to enforce the law in Wisconsin. We're also going to talk about what happens to a small communication center, two dispatchers on duty, having to take on uh, two officers down. It's a testament to Barron County, Wisconsin. We're going to uh, talk all about that, have lots of information. And on Friday, of course, the big show will be back. But thanks so much for everyone who's tuning in. If you like Failure Stop, give us a like, a follow, a subscribe. You can also follow us on Patreon. Andrea and I do a show on Patreon as well where we uh, do deep dives on cases like this. Uh, for all of us, Failure to Stop, thank you again for watching. We will catch you next time. Guns up. Giddy up. Night, y'all. Night.